Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Joe and Amber podcast. Joe, Roger Goodell is out here earning every single, single dollar of that multi-million dollar fancy salary because he has been spitting the company lines. Boy, has he ever. He had his state of the NFL address today and he addressed the officiating. Take a listen to the commissioner. Uh, I think for us, when you look at officiating, I don't think it's ever been better in the league. There are over 42,000 plays in a season. Multiple infractions could occur on any play. Take that out and extrapolate that. That's hundreds, if not millions, of, of, of potential fouls. And our officials do an extraordinary job of getting those. Are there mistakes in the context of that? Yes. They are not perfect, and officiating never will. Huh? So how do you feel about Roger Goodell saying officiating never been better? Well, it's 100% the right answer. I don't think there's anything else he could have said. If I'm Goodell, I say the same thing because what can everyone do with that? We can mock it all we want, but the reality is the commissioner of the NFL said that officiating is doing great. We can disagree, but we can't do anything else with that. Conversely, if Goodell comes out and says, well, there have been some issues We don't see it as being up to par. We got to make some changes. Suddenly everyone runs with that. And every time there's a problem, everyone can refer back to that and say, Goodell, you even said this was a problem. What are you doing to fix it? So this is the smartest move from a PR standpoint. It's the smartest move from a political standpoint. It keeps you insulated. You're bulletproof. No one can come at you. If you don't acknowledge the problem, then there isn't a problem that you have to fix, basically. You people are idiots. There's no problem. There's no problem. He does admit, yeah, are there mistakes? Sure, people make mistakes. Now, there are things they can do better, and that's what I'd like to see the NFL do more than anything else. Ball placement. I don't want 65-year-old men who are trailing the play by eight yards to come running up and guess where the ball should be spotted. I think with technology in this day and age, we can improve upon that. I think the old-school chains that keep getting tangled up on the sidelines and delaying the games because we need to get the backup chains out there, I think we can improve upon that. But overall, I really don't think officiating is as bad as everyone makes it out to be. We just all happen to find that one call, and then we yell and scream from the rafters about it, and we make it seem like that is indicative of the entire league when the reality is it isn't. Are there, is there room for improvement? Absolutely. But if you're Goodell, that's exactly how you answer it because no one has anything to work with now. See, I think it actually is as bad as maybe we think, but I think that the reason that we think it is because of all the technology that we now have available to us and that we always have the benefit of hindsight and in its immediacy, right? Like everything is 2020 vision in our hindsight when we have the aid of cameras and every single angle and everything's coming at us the second after a play finishes. And so we can see the flaws in the officiating, I think just better than we've ever seen them before. I don't think it's that the officiating is probably 
probably any worse than it was 30 years ago. It's that our ability to recognize it is so much better than it was 30 years ago, which is why we're all spending so much time complaining about it because it's so obvious to us. And that just ain't for the NFL. That's for every sport. We all complain about the NBA. That's a big, you know, the officiating there has always been atrocious and all this. And it's the same sort of thing. It's such a fast moving sport, particularly with basketball, but with any of these sports, there's such fast moving sports happening in real time. And yet we have camera after camera after camera that can slow it down for us and make it anything but real time. And the men standing and the women standing on the field don't have that benefit like we all do sitting on our couches. Very easy for us to armchair quarterback. Here's a perfect example of that and also how ridiculous the national opinion is when it comes to officiating. Eagles 49ers NFC Championship game, first quarter opening drive. Philadelphia fourth down, Hurts rolls left, he throws it to Devontae Smith, who seemingly makes an incredible one-handed catch. Mm -hmm. Now, the Eagles hurry up, they go ahead and they snap the ball, they throw it incomplete, so the play can't be reviewed. If you go to Twitter in the wake of that catch, everyone is talking about how it's one of the most incredible catches they've ever seen. Everybody. Then what happens is a few minutes goes by and we start getting angle four, angle eight, angle 15 from the cameras on that catch and it turns out to be incomplete. Then everyone blames Shanahan for not throwing the challenge flag and they blame the refs for not getting it right. Meanwhile, every idiot on Twitter was talking about how great of a catch it was until they got the benefit of the doubt with the 6th, 8th, and 10th camera reviews. Everyone thought it was a catch. No one questioned it in real time. So what are, how can we expect the refs to nail that in real time? How can we expect Shanahan to get that right in real time? Shanahan's on the road. The Lincoln Financial Field's not going to give him four reviews so he can make the decision. So we all look at that as being this egregious display of officiating when in reality every human on earth would have gotten that one wrong. That one doesn't bother me because of everything that you just said. So when we're talking about plays like that, if we're not bringing in robots and AI in order to do this sport, then fine, there's always going to be some semblance of error. I think the things that frustrate people more, though, are what happened in the other championship game in the AFC, where on that in that fourth quarter, Kansas City ran that play on third and nine and then essentially got a redo because of a clock error when the officials figured that out. And the way that that play went down, and it didn't make sense to anybody at the time that it was happening, and it just felt like such a, a huge mistake in such a big moment. Now, I understand the, offici- the officials, they're going to say, well, there was clock issues and that they recognized it that they tried to whistle the play dead and it was just so loud there and nobody heard it and blah, blah, blah. And there's reasons for all of it. But I do think in that scenario, watching it as the consumer, that's more disappointing even than what happened with Devontae Smith, where all of us thought that was a catch initially. Yeah, that entire scenario, first of all, it didn't make sense. It felt like Kansas City was getting an extra down. It felt like this could be a situation where in the fourth quarter it could swing the entire game, and nobody wants the entire game of that magnitude swung on a really poorly officiated play. The reality, though, if that same thing happens in week three during a Sunday 1 o'clock Eastern game between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Houston Texans, no one cares. No one notices it. It doesn't even matter. It just so happened to be on the biggest stage, so that particular mistake was magnified. 
Thankfully, the Chiefs ended up having to punt anyway, but mistakes are going to happen, especially when you have old men as officials. I don't understand why we can't have more guys in like their late 30s, early 40s officiating. Like you watch that play in the playoffs between the Ravens and the Bengals when there was the fumble on the goal line by Huntley and then Cincinnati ran it 99 yards for the score. The refs were like 25 yards behind the play. They missed the block in the back that happened to, I believe, Mark Andrews, who was trying to chase the play down. Like if you have a 65-year-old man who's required to sprint as part of his job, that's probably going to lead to some issues throughout the course of the year. I I agree with that, although I'm not sure a guy in his 30s or 40s or a gal in her 30s or 40s could have kept up either, right? I mean, there's certain plays, like when we're talking... Bring back Hockley. There you go. Maybe maybe he could have. Uh, You're right. Uh, He certainly spent some time in the gym. Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility and great pay and benefits? Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Coming up next, LeBron did it. He passed Kareem last night. But but there was even more drama off the court for the Lakers. We are going to get into it. Oh, my goodness. I can't talk. I'm going to try again. Let's take a brief hiatus. Uh, I'll be back. Speaking, I hope. Show's over. Joe and Amber, the podcast. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Joe Fortenbaugh, Amber Wilson. At Joe Fortenbaugh, that's how you find him. At Amber W Sports, that's how you found me. Uh, Let's go ahead and earn a little pizza money. We're going to get into... The Lakers, LeBron, he did it last night. But before we get into NBA talk, Joe wants to earn you a little cash. You're not going to bet the house on it, but you're going to bet maybe a little pizza money. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. Another profitable night last evening. We went 2-1, and one, plus 1.2 units overall, thanks to Jack Eichel going over three and a half shots on goal. That was plus 125. You've been killing it lately. What are we are on we, now overall? Like it's we are on a six-day run, a six-day run where we are 14-5, and five, 
plus 19.1 units, courtesy of the 12 to 1 Four. bomb on Dwight Powell two nights ago. Ooh, buddy, so let's keep it cooking. Let's keep it cooking. New Louboutins for Amber. That's what we're going for here. 7.30, this game's right around the corner. The Sixers, plus four and a half over the Celtics. We're playing the dog, Boston. They've lost four of seven. They're two and seven against the number over their last nine. The offense has fallen off. Up until about the beginning of January, they were the number one rated offense in the NBA. Since January 8th, they are 16th in offensive efficiency. Meanwhile, Philadelphia's been cooking, and no one's talking about it. They've won nine of 11. This is a prove-it game for the Sixers. I like them plus the four and a half. Kenrick Williams backing him in. Turns, shoots, scores! There he is! LeBron, you are the NBA's all-time scoring leader. Man, thank you guys. So LeBron James did it last night. And in hindsight, Joe, I mean, we should have known he was going to do it last night, right? Like, it was so obvious in the moment that he was going to do it last night with the amount of media that was there, the amount of celebrities that were there, the amount of family that he had, high school friends even, that had flown in to see him do it. It felt like the night it was going to get done, and it was just obvious that he was going to get it done as quickly as he could. I mean, he got it done in the third quarter. It's important to note that about a minute ago, I was bragging about how hot I am gambling right now. My loser last night was LeBron James under 32 and a half points. Yeah, so we should go that. ahead and acknowledge the losers like we do the winners. My thought process was that he was going to want to do it on Thursday against Milwaukee. You know, we were still talking about a big number against OKC. Maybe he gets close and backs away, but no, I love the way he did it. Go out, have the big game in style and in front of everyone that was there. It was a magical night. It was a big shot. He put on a hell of a show. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit here and rain on it, but they did lose to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, we do have to acknowledge the fact that despite the huge performance, you still found a way to lose to the Thunder at home. But, you know, we can. They did. We can it's a bad Lakers that. team. Also, I'm one of the reasons. One of the reasons LeBron has the ball in his hand so much, right? And can break this scoring record as quickly as he did in the third quarter. Because it's a bad Lakers team. That's the reality of it. We're going to get into that component of this even more later in the show. But let's talk about what Anthony Davis's reaction was yes. last night. Because it was weird, right? I mean, he didn't get yeah. up. He didn't cheer. He didn't cheer for a single LeBron basket, apparently, the entire game. But the moment, the most historic moment that we've witnessed in a very long time, breaking a record that has stood since 1984, a moment that quite literally every other person in an arena had their phone out to encapture that moment, to live in, in infinity that they were there, right? And remember it forever, which by the way, we make a lot of fun of people for pulling their phones out. And it does look bad, I guess, in a way, like when you compare it to the pictures of Jordan taking his last shot for the Bulls, there's been a lot of that today on social media. LeBron taking his shot last night to break the scoring record, and it's just no phones at all in the 90s and nothing but phones in everybody's hands in 2023. But at the same time, it's a camera, you know, I mean, it's a care. It's not like people are out there like tweeting, you know, right. I mean, I guess they're tweeting pictures, but like, it's not like they're scrolling their feed. Like they're taking pictures of the moment. Anyways, I digress. I just don't well, know. It's, it's very important for each of those people to let the world know that they were there. It's not about, Hey, LeBron's breaking the record. It's about, Hey, everyone, look, I'm here and you're not hit like hit subscribe more of this in the future. I'm awesome. You're not. So people talk trash about that and that's fair, except for 
if you had a photo of you watching Michael Jordan take his last shot with the Bulls, which was a very similar angle of this, and that's why this has been all over social media today, wouldn't you brag about that? Because I assure you, if I had a picture of me watching Jordan do anything in person, it would be on my wall. No, I'm very humble, and I like to keep things <laughs> low-key. You might be very braggadocious, loud, obnoxious even, and that's your thing. That's fine. Maybe that's how you get down in Florida. I like to be subtle, kind of lying in the weeds, kinda more like CIA Davis, than huh? FBI. Well, right? you and Anthony Davis have a lot in common. He was very uh, lying <laughs> in the bankles. weeds last night, uh, so to speak. Anthony Davis did not get up. He did not cheer. He stayed deadpan on the bench in that historic moment, Jalen Rose, ESPN's NBA analyst, was on Get Up talking about it. It comes off as petty. It comes off as you're hating. It comes off as that you're being jealous of the moment. And when things like that happen, overarching, you feel like, can they continue to play together? That ain't no long-term relationship mm. when your second best player, Anthony Davis, is purposely not celebrating LeBron James in the moment that the entire world is watching. That is a poor look on Anthony Davis. And you talked about the guy that LeBron made the shot on, how that video is going to live for him as a defender. He's going to be cheered by his family and friends because he was on the court. This is a moment that Anthony Davis ain't going to live down. This is not going to be a good look long term. I do agree with Jalen Rose there. Even if you're the defender in that scenario, you tell your grandkids about that one day that LeBron made that shot against you and hopefully get a chuckle out of it. But Anthony Davis, it was so strange. And fine, I, he's jealous, he's petty of what, Joe? It's not like Anthony Davis is ever going to be in contention to break any of these titles. He doesn't play enough in the NBA. Number one, I love this because this is the beauty of the NBA. It's like WWE. Not to draw the parallel to annoy you, but like Monday Night Raw, the drama, everything happening behind the scenes. There is no sport with more with more divas, with more drama than the NBA. So this is fantastic. The NBA scripted? Even (laughs) I mean, they're close. You you couldn't ask for something better. That was supposed to be the storyline. And yet Anthony Davis intentionally choosing to sit down while everyone else was standing. That that becomes a new storyline. It's so fantastic. But you got to you got to understand the psyche of these guys. And we do this to them to an extent as a society. These guys come up. And from, I don't know what age, maybe seven or eight, someone identifies that they have a gift when it comes to basketball. Maybe it's size, maybe it's speed, maybe it's a combination of everything and a nasty jumper to boot. But they are ranked and pitted against each other from a young age. They play AAU against each other. They're recruited for colleges against each other. They're going for NIL deals against each other one and, one and, and now in this day and age. It's nothing but rankings of you against these dudes from so early on that it's ultra competitive. And it probably creates a really thin skin because so many of them, right up until they get to this moment, are the most dominant alpha that's ever existed in that bubble. But then you get outside the bubble in college and a new alpha emerges. Then you get outside that bubble and you go to the NBA and a new alpha emerges. Then you end up on a team with LeBron James and the ultimate apex predator emerges and it makes you jealous. It makes you petty because you were the guy for the longest time in your life. We pit these dudes against each other from such an early age. What do we expect? Do we expect them to like each other? Do we expect them to root for one another? No. They've been competing since they were five. Everybody else on that court was rooting for him in that moment. Quite literally everybody. I mean, every other teammate he had 
Jazz was upstanding, you know, arms in the air, taking in the moment, celebrating with him. Yeah, and but so, no one else is on that alpha level. The only other and, guy and on I, that and court. I got, and I got news for you, Anthony. Anthony you, ain't, you ain't either, bro. Like, uh I, I got news for you. Right? I mean, Uh-oh. LeBron James is arguably the greatest player we've ever seen. Certainly the greatest of his generation, even if you're an MJ kind of guy or gal. You chose Jordan yesterday. AD, I, by the way, I think I've gone backwards on that, but that's, a, that's, a, yeah, we'll that's for another that. day. Uh, AD, he's never part of that conversation, ever. Not even generationally speaking. It's not, it's not the same. Like, they're, not, they're not competing on the same sphere. They're not competing for the same things, and they certainly ain't competing for the same records because Anthony Davis would have to stay on a basketball court in order to break any sort of scoring record, and we know that is never going to happen for that player. So just get up and cheer. Joe and Amber, the podcast. Rihanna in our lives getting ready. For the Super Bowl halftime show on Sunday, I am excited about that Super Bowl halftime show. I'm also excited about sound generally. It's time for us to sound on, sound off. Oh, what a transition. They said it, but what did they really mean? What are you trying to say to us? Sound on, sound off with Joe and Amber. Kyrie Irving is set to make his debut tonight in a Dallas Mavericks uniform in Los Angeles versus the Clippers. What will the Luka Kyrie story bring? Mike Krzyzewski has some thoughts. The five-time national champion winning coach was on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max earlier today. What I saw with the U.S. teams I had the honor to coach was that talent makes talent better. The first practice we had, Jason Kidd's leading the fast break, fast break drill, and Dwayne Wade and LeBron are on the wings, and the ball's going everywhere. It's everywhere. I get them all together, and they say, yo, let's take care of the ball. And Jason says, coach, I'll tone it down. And immediately, Dwayne and LeBron say, no, we haven't played with a guard like you. Let us adjust to your talent. And I think, yeah, I'm excited to see how talent makes talent better. I'd rather look at it as how good could they be instead of saying, hey, there is one ball, but you have two amazing guys who can pass that ball. Doncic is a great passer in addition to being a scorer. He's just had to play that way with the Mavericks. Kyrie can play off the ball, too. He's one of the best shooters in the NBA. It'll be really exciting basketball. James Steele was off work last night because he has the best daughter in the world and she was winning an award at school. He is back tonight, a triumphant parent. He has made his return. He helps us with this segment. What's up, James? I'm just glad you tossed to me uh, for this first soundbite tonight. Um, so it's an improvement. She's sharp tonight. She's yeah, sharp. She I really, I'm, true, you know man. why, guys? A little personal news here. Finally went to a doctor today. Oh, you know, nice. I've, been, I've, been, I've been playing sick on this show for like three straight weeks. And, and literally after like three weeks, I'm like, eh, maybe I should go see somebody about this. And then I found out I have a massive uh, sinus infection. I'm on all sorts. I'm on steroids right now. I'm about to, you know, get all jacked up. Anyways. No, no. Play, is- the, play the applause yeah. sound. Play it. <laughs> you had the right idea there. You let that rip. Well done, Amber. Way to go. Point is, I'm on all sorts of meds right now. I'm on my way up. We're getting back into things. I'm back, baby. I, I, I feel like I'm thinking better already. All right, yeah, so yes, my daughter, the greatest kid in the world, uh, but also, Joe, what are your expectations from the beginning of the Luca Kyrie experiment that's supposedly going to start tonight against the Clippers? 
the beginning, probably sloppy. Probably sloppy is what I would say. I think defensively they're going to be a mess. Losing Dorian Finney-Smith, he's one of the best two-way defenders in the game, so I think Kawhi Leonard could have a big night. Hint, hint, hint to some pizza money later in the evening. But ultimately it's going to be sloppy. Like Krzyzewski said, it takes a while for guys to adjust styles. you got to understand, Luka is so ball-dominant that Kyrie's going to have to get used to that. And if you're Luka, you're going to have to change your game a little bit to facilitate. If you want to compete in this league and you're going to bring in another star, you're going to have to share some of that spotlight. So both guys are going to go through a lot. There's going to be some growing pains, but I think it has the potential to be very fun. Early in the process, when you go on that first date, everyone behaves. You open the door, you dress nice, you put on the cologne. I've been married for years. I haven't put on cologne in a decade. So you see how it gets as you get used to one another. But early on, it should be should be peaches and roses, Amber. You haven't put on cologne in a decade? What for? I mean, you, first of all, you have to, I mean, uh, you, like, you have to keep her. I mean, I, I know she's legally obligated to be with you and all, but uh, yeah. there's ways Legal. to take care of that. So, so go ahead and put on some cologne. Let's make sure she <laughs> wants to stay legally obligated. Give me some uh, of that Dracar Noir. I used to rock that back in the day. <laughs> oh, goodness. Maybe update your cologne a little bit. Uh, I will say that I think that Kyrie is going to be extra motivated coming out of the gate, but I agree with Joe that it's going to be growing pains at first between these two. I don't know how it's going to look eventually because of the issue with Luka's ball dominance and how is that going to pair with Kyrie, who's never been particularly good at taking a back seat to another player that's better than him, although he has had to do it with KD and he did it successfully with LeBron. He certainly was not happy about it in either scenario. And so how does this work with Luka, a player that is the most dominant ball or ball dominant player in the entire league? It'll be interesting to see. I don't think we're going to find that answer tonight, though. I, we're not even going to find that answer the first 10 games that they played together. I mean, I mean, don't even you know you remember how Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and LeBron started during yeah. their tenure together it doesn't just happen these guys don't just gel instantly it's going to be growing pains it'll take a little time one of the biggest storylines just kidding reverse that Max Kellerman is known for having some hot takes I was here's the deal I took the medicine for the first time like two hours ago so it hasn't fully kicked in yet tomorrow night's show it's a steroid pack what are you talking about it's not like you're out there on z-pack the steroid pack I don't know I'm on some Afrin. I'm on some Robitussin. I've got all sorts of stuff going on. She gave me Tussin. prescription cough medicine. I was scared to take it before the show because I'm scared it's going to make me drowsy. It's a whole thing. Do you want me to highlight it for you so that way you can find it? Is that? I was supposed to leave for Phoenix tomorrow. I've, I'm not even able to do that. Oh, my God. I've day. never met anyone who makes more plans to travel <laughs> and then doesn't travel because than you. I've That's like the sick. sixth trip you've canceled in four weeks. Same sickness, Joe. This is oh what happens when you don't God. go to the doctor for three weeks. I pushed the trip back. I'm still hoping to make it. We'll see. Uh, no promises. Max Kellerman is known for having some hot takes. His take this morning might be his hottest. Here's Max's list of the top five scorers of all time. My top five scorers of all time. At number five all time, Kobe Bryant. At number four, Kevin Durant. At number three, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. At number two, Wilt Chamberlain. And at number one, an uncontroversial pick, Michael Jordan, not only led the league in scoring, which is what we mean when you say scoring champ, ten times. So, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but Max literally left off the guy who has scored more points in the NBA than anyone else ever off his top five all-time score list. 
So, Amber, where would you rank LeBron as an all-time scorer? He's, he's number one because he quite literally leads all scoring in the NBA. And I think we failed to mention last night, it's remarkable. Yes, he has been aided with the three-point shot and some of the rules changes since Kareem did it. However, he also did it couple years sooner than Kareem did it. He did it in far less seasons than it took Kareem to do it. This feat by LeBron James absolutely makes him the best scorer of all time. Or, fine, if you want to argue that other guy, Kareem, that held it from 1984 until 2023 was the greatest scorer of all time, I'll allow it because of the three-point shot and the rules changes. But other than those two guys, there is no discussion. This is a ridiculous conversation, although I do think Max is learning brilliantly from the Dan Orlovsky play. Book and what you do is the top five lists. You leave one guy out, and you know what happens? Joe and Amber are talking about it. So I get what he's doing here. Um, he's basically talking about the best bucket getters, right? Like, I need you to go get me a bucket late in the game. Kevin Durant's one of those guys. Like, Kevin Durant is one of the, if not, Kevin Durant not might on be his the greatest score of all time. Well, here's, I'm not, I'm not there yeah. yet. I'm not there yet. I'm yeah. just saying, I understand why he's not going to have him at the top of the list. Because if we're just talking about, like, a pure bucket getter, okay, I see what he's doing. But when you lead the NBA all-time in scoring, you have to have a place in the top five. You don't have to have him one. You don't have to have him two. But you got to be in the top five. You're the all-time scorer. So if the conversation is about scoring, you deserve to be in that discussion, especially if you're going to extend the conversation all the way to five guys. If you don't want to say he's the top scorer of all time, I can see that. If you're talking about bucket getters, Allen Iverson was a great one at that. But ultimately, if you're going to expand it to five, you got to include the guy who scored more points than anybody. One of the biggest storylines of this Sunday's Super Bowl is the Kelsey brothers playing each other. The first time brothers will play each other on the field, Eagle center Jason Kelsey was asked if his mom had a favorite son. Your bet and say she likes me now because I have kids, and that's a good way I've kind of leveled the field with Trav, but um, the baby always gets the love from mom. It is true. I would imagine who has, uh, who has produced the grandkids really helps swing that pendulum. It's one hundred percent. Yeah, it's one hundred percent. So, Joe, uh, who's your favorite kid? <laughs> oh, wow, that is a very, very direct question. I've been asked that before. It depends on what we're doing and where we're at. I, I have two two boys, six and four, and I'm very lucky that they're different in many ways. They get along well, which is great, but they're different in many ways. So there are some things where I would prefer to work with one of them, and then there are other things where I'd prefer to work with the other. And that's the variety of life, that, that diversity that you get from your children. So I'm very, very fortunate, and I would say that it just depends on the activity, of which you did not declare which one specifically we were discussing, so my answer should suffice. Wow, that was a Roger Goodell-esque answer if I ever heard one. Great uh, answer. What a, pol- what a politician's answer. That Joe Fortenball for Senate 2030. No I think, kidding. I think, I think that's an easy question for you to answer, Amber. Yeah, I got, I got, I got one favorite kid. And, and one kid. Cullen Lindsay. That's it. That's, that's, my, fa- that's my favorite little dude. Uh, who doesn't love booing Roger Goodell? Speaking of Roger Goodell, when he goes to the podium to announce picks at the NFL draft, Goodell was asked what he thinks about that earlier today. Hey, it's the Play 60 Super Kid. Um, how does it feel being booed at the NFL draft? <laughs> uh, well, Julia, thanks for your question. Um, I actually love it personally because, you know, it's a way for fans to interact. Um, it's, a, it's a way for them to be part of it. 
Uh, all right, so you have Goodell who gets booed at the draft. Gary Bettman gets booed anytime he goes up to present the Stanley Cup. The bloodline and Roman Reigns got booed out of the building at what? Royal Rumble huh? whenever yeah. uh, they turned on Sami Zayn. So quite the pop. Who, who is the yeah, Joe? Who is the biggest heel in sports right now? Feels like Gary Bettman. If we're talking strictly commissioners, Gary Bettman seems to be universally hated by everybody. But it's hockey, so not enough people pay attention. I think Manfred has done a fantastic job of being a villain. It feels like every mm-hmm. time we hear from Rob Manfred, or any time we are treated to a decision made by Rob Manfred, it's so tone deaf that everyone cringes in unison. That's what's wonderful about Manfred. It seems like he's completely unlikable by just about everybody, and yet he controls baseball. So Manfred might be the biggest villain in sports, but again, if you're not a baseball fan, probably doesn't even register. I think commissioners, by their very nature, tend to be not liked by fans, right? And if it's a good commissioner, he's probably even less liked by fans because he's working for the owners, and that's just the only people he cares about that he's reporting to. Like That is his job, and his job is not always one that the fans are going to like or appreciate his whole job is to make more money uh, for those owners. I would say Adam Silver, though, skates in like a weird, bizarre way. Like, I mean, he can make bad decisions or make poor or not even handle things properly. Like there are some questionable stuff that's happened here over the last three, four years. Nobody ever talked. Adam Silver just skates. He's the one commissioner that nobody seems to have an issue with. And these other commissioners take all the heat. Roger Goodell makes good money to take all that heat, though. Goodell makes crazy money. So much. the perks that come with that job are incredible. They are. But you get booed. I feel like I can handle that. It's Uh, fine. Sign me up. Exactly. Coming up next here on Joe and Amber, are the Saints a quarterback away from being contenders in the NFC? We'll get into that. This is ESPN Radio. You can also listen to us on the ESPN app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. The quarterback carousel has officially begun. Joe and Amber here on ESPN Radio. Joe Fortenbaugh. Amber Wilson hanging out with you. Derek Carr. He was given permission by the Las Vegas Raiders, Joe, to visit with the New Orleans Saints. It is the first of his visits, probably, frankly, the first of many. Our very own Adam Schefter, ESPN's NFL insider, was on NFL Live. He's in New Orleans today for both sides to be able to get a feel for one another, how it would work if he were willing to play there. But the Saints have been given permission from the Raiders, which means essentially that the Saints and Raiders have a deal in place, a trade in place, if if Derek Carr likes his visit, if the Saints like him, if they could agree to some type of restructured contract. There are a lot of ifs involved, which is why he's visiting there. It's almost like a date between the two sides. Mm. Do they like each other and want to go on a second date and continue the relationship? Or do they go out and not like each other and say, that's enough right here? Can't they just look up each other's Tinder profiles? Joe and Amber is presented to you by (laughs) Progressive Insurance. Now, Joe, it is worth keeping in mind that Derek Carr has a $40.4 million option that becomes guaranteed if he's still on the Raiders roster on February 15th. It is February 8th. They have to trade Derek Carr. Yeah, they're going to work to get something done. There's a lot that makes sense here. Carr would go to a division where he would instantaneously have a chance to win that division. Tampa Bay is going to be without Brady. Who knows how they're going to respond next year. Carolina is trying to rebuild. Atlanta is trying to find their way. And the Saints have some interesting pieces. But the Saints are currently, as currently constructed, in a horrendous salary cap situation. If you look at their salary cap 
available space, they rank dead last in the NFL, minus 57 million. Now, there are going to be some moves coming. For example, wide receiver Michael Thomas, likely gone. There are some other marquee players that are probably either going to be traded to the Raiders, traded to other teams, or in some way, shape, or form released to clear some salary cap space this offseason. So there is a lot of financial hoopla that New Orleans has to go through. But also keep this in mind. Derek Carr was drafted to the Oakland Raiders in 2014. One thing no one mentions is that the head coach of that team was Dennis Allen. Dennis Allen is currently the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. So if there's someone who knows Derek Carr well, someone who would want to get Derek Carr into his system, Dennis Allen would be the guy because he went through the whole pre-draft process with him and he's watched him ever since. So the fit makes sense on both sides if it works for Derek. Chris Olave had a great rookie season coming out of Ohio State. Alvin Kamara is still there. There's an opportunity there for him to make some noise. See, I feel like it works on the Saints side. Does it really work on Derek Carr's side? Like, if you had your pick as Derek Carr, which, yes, there's a lot of factors at play here, and it's not like he's a free agent just picking a destination. But if you were in that situation, I wouldn't imagine New Orleans is it because, like you just mentioned, they're going to have to get rid of some of those weapons. Not that Michael Thomas Thomas has been much of a weapon anyways because he can't stay healthy the last few years. But nevertheless, they're going to have to get rid of some of the key pieces on that team in order to even make this work with Derek Carr. And they weren't a good team when they had those key pieces. So I would be concerned if I was Derek Carr about joining this New Orleans Saints team. Is Dennis Allen a good head coach? I don't know. I mean, they didn't have a great season last year, and Allen's supposed to be a defensive mind, right. and that defense was supposed to be loaded, and they didn't play well at all last season. So maybe it was just a one-year thing coming off Sean Payton. Maybe he does deserve the benefit of the doubt. Give him another year. I can understand that. But if the Saints get aggressive to try to upgrade quarterback, that killed them this year because Winston can't stay healthy, and he's a turnover machine. Andy Dalton is not a starter in the NFL, and Taysom Hill should never be paying quarterback in any scenario outside of like the XFL. And that's not to knock him. He can play play in the league but just not quarterback so you gotta get a guy in there and if you understand that the division's right for the taking right now go make a move for a guy like Carr. i just wonder what other options are out there for him other options that are viable because everyone keeps saying Carr's got a no trade he can nix anything i don't think he has as much power as everyone believes he does everyone just believes the raiders have no say here i think there's something in that contract that gives them at least a little bit of a flex not a lot but a little bit i don't know he has said apparently that he is unwilling to extend that deadline for his team in terms of that 40.4 million that becomes guaranteed to him so i mean it feels like he can kind of stick it to them here right because they have to move him by february 15th if he has a no trade and doesn't like any of his options what happens? So they kind of do have to work with Derek Carr. Like, I do feel like in this rare scenario, we're not used to seeing the player with the power in the NFL. In this rare scenario, it feels like to me the player has the power. And if I have the power, I'm not sure New Orleans is where I'd want to go. Well, that's what most people are saying. But take me through it then. Then, then why wouldn't Carr have already nixed everything and just said, look, don't talk to me about trades. I'm going to see you after the deadline when I can go out and, and visit with someone else. I think like, because he, he could I think do that, but he's becomes- not. I think because he wants to be traded, but he wants obviously to move on from this time there. And if the he, I, I mean, this is just me theorizing, but when sure. the 40.4 hits, then it makes it more difficult to trade him, right? Because somebody else is going to have to pay that. I mean, obviously, he's probably going to want something out of this deal, such as a newer contract, something that's right. going to be extended into the future. He'll go somewhere. He'll take a new deal that'll extend the years and give him more in terms of a signing bonus, but the number itself will be prorated throughout the course of the contract, and it'll be more cap-friendly for the team that brings him in. So I'm not saying 
that the Raiders have a lot of leverage here. I just think they have a little bit more than people realize. Otherwise, if you were Carr, you wouldn't be dealing with any of this. You'd just be sitting back waiting for them to inevitably release you, and then you could head out and pick whatever team you wanted. Yeah, and because that's it, not happening, something smells there. I think it's just his desire to get moved, and he knows that he's more difficult to move once that hits, and so he's not trying to just drag his feet, so to speak. But at the end of the day, the Raiders are in a strange situation because they do have to work with Derek Carr. And Derek Carr is clearly unhappy with that organization and not so willing to work with them in terms of destinations. But it should be interesting to see who else gets in this mix because with that deadline coming up, these meetings have to happen very quickly. This is the first one we've heard about. I would imagine this isn't going to be the last one that we're hearing about. I mean, he's going to have other suitors that I would imagine are trying to bring him into the facility and meet with him. But also, that has to all happen in the next week. So we should have a pretty good idea in the next week or so where Derek Carr is going to end up. At least some semblance of an idea of who's actually interested in him and who he might actually be interested in. Joe and Amber, the podcast. 